Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, endures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. The shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever
of Revelation uh -huh. chapter 7 verses 6 Book of Revelation uh -huh. chapter 7 verses 16 and 17 Yes sir They shall hunger no more neither shall they thirst anymore Preach preacher For God shall wipe away Yes sir Every tear from their eyes Yes sir Get ready for the revolution What you say I see people heading for the exits. Don't worry. We'll do a little bit more, but whoop, whoop. Nice, nice. It's the way it should be around here. Yeah, all the time. I, I just want to reintroduce myself. My name's Joe. G glad to be here. Yeah. As some of you, as, as some of you knew, I had to go for my annual haircut and uh, Heather usually tells me to go on a monthly basis, but I'm too cheap. But there comes a point where I see squirrels coming out of my hair in the mornings from the bed, and I'm like, yeah, it's about time. Um, so good to be back. Uh, one thing before we get into the text today is we're going to do something a little bit different today, and depending on how well you perform, we'll keep doing it. But at the end of our time, we're going to be doing question and question. So what that means is some churches do like question and answer. That's no fun for me. So at the end of the service today, we're going to have mics upstairs, downstairs. If you got just a question that came out of the text today, maybe a question from the sermon, I want to encourage you to, if it's burning in you as, as we go through the text today, I want to encourage you to grab the mic or just shout it out. We'll have a time of a bit of a dialogue. You can ask those questions. And then following that, I get to ask you questions, because that's only fair, all right? And then we'll, uh, and um, by the way, if you do have other questions, maybe unrelated to the text, maybe it's about, I just want some answers to particular spiritual questions about the church, about how to meet Jesus more and more and more. Uh, we have the Q&A Cafe, which is in the youth room following the service. If you just want to get more into the nitty-gritty with some of the elders or our church leaders, that's the place for that. So following at the end of the service today, we're going to have a Q&Q time, more related to the text, to the sermon, but there if you want to get more into the nitty-gritty or, or what have you, that is the place for that. So are you guys ready? 
Okay, let's, let's pray and then enter the text. Thanks, God. Thank you for this book, uh, this book that's about life transformation that's only truly, really possible through you. And whatever's going on in the world right now, whatsoever is going on in our lives now, I pray you would just quiet our souls, um, quiet our minds, quiet our thoughts, quiet all those distractions as we just come to you, hear from your words that you've been transmitting since the beginning of time, that you love us and you want nothing more than to give us the deepest longings and satisfactions of our soul. And help us to see that clearly today, that that's only possible through you, through your word, um, and through your deeds. In your precious name, amen. All right. Mark, we're hopping back into the book of Mark. Mark chapter, we take a bit of a break there. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. You can follow along in your uh, sermon notes in the bulletin. I'll have it come up on the screen. Or you can go into uh, the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, hopefully. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. And by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in hundreds and in fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, most of us have probably heard this very famous story about this very, very famous picnic. And sometimes I, I've looked at this text even this past week. I'm like, not a whole lot of variety in their picnic, is there? You got bread and you got fish. Kind of blah, 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 blah. Uh, anyone anyone uh, been on a picnic yet this year? A couple of you. I did one a couple weeks ago at Toronto Islands and my, my basket floated away. But, uh, but have you ever, you ever gone on a picnic or had a meal with someone? And they had an agenda. They had like something they were maybe trying to sell you. Uh, like, like we all know, you've heard the term, you know, free lunch, right? And how do we always start that statement? There's no such thing as free lunch. And I'm sure some of us have been kind of stuck in these kind of meals where we know they have an agenda. We, and they have an agenda and whammo, they lay it on us. My dad 
lives for these things. He loves them. If he goes anywhere around, he hears free meal, and he knows there's, they're going to try and sell him, you know, timeshares. They're going to try and sell him, like, beachfront property on the Toronto Islands for the month of June. He doesn't care because there's a free lunch, and he can handle the brunt assault of investments or timeshares in Hawaii. Me, if I even get a sniff of one of these agendas, I steer clear of it because I'm the type of person who gets very easily manipulated in some of these high emotional settings, and then I sign on the dotted line, oh, I just sold three of my kids. And, and some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have probably maybe even gotten to some of those diff, difficult situations. I had this one instance where <clears throat> a former friend uh, calls me up and says, Joe, I urgently need to see you. Urgently need to see you. I can't wait. Heather had just given birth to the twins. And it's a day after. So my diet for the last three or four days had been Red Bulls. And I'm just hanging on, haven't slept much. And I'm like, oh, can I wait? No, it's urgent. So he comes over. I'm sleep deprived. And he brings with him a financial planner. And so for the next two hours, they put me in vice grips, trying to squeeze me to sign up for this financial plan. Had this agenda, and, and, and it, was, it, was, it was tough. It was tricky. Good for them, though. But anyhow, we come to this well-known picnic. And, and this story where many of us have heard this before. And what's really, really important is you've got to understand the crowd. So the text tells us there's at least 5,000 men. Maybe that was all of it, but maybe there's 5,000 men plus women and children. So basically all of Etobicoke Ward 4 has shown up this day for this picnic, but they weren't there for a picnic. And what I want to just take a couple moments today and talk about is that if you understand Jesus, you can begin to understand who you are are truly to be. And as we work through Mark, and you've probably noticed this over the last couple months, Jesus, by doing miracles, by being compassionate, by caring for people, he's attracting this huge crowd. And he's trying to keep a lid on it. It's like, like just don't tell anybody, don't tell. And this crowd's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And just before the story we read today, something significant happens. Jesus' cousin, John the Washer, John the baptizer, gets beheaded. And he gets beheaded by this guy called King Herod. And what happened was, talk about a meal with an agenda, scholars believe it was King Herod's 50th birthday. And so King Herod, they're having their, their dinner, and King Herod's uh, new acquired wife Herodias and her daughter Salome are there. He kind of, kind of in a very sketch way, stole them from his brother Philip. And they're having this dinner together, and the meal's going on and on. And then Salome, his new stepdaughter, she does some kind of like really incredible dance, I guess, with some really slick moves. And it's so good that Herod offers her up to half the kingdom. Half the kingdom. I mean, she must have had some moves when I start dancing, my kids start screaming for me to stop. 
And, and then Herod's like, up to half my kingdom you get. And she, she starts talking with her mom, Herodias, and she's like, ask for John the baptizer's head. Obviously, Herodias isn't a big fan of John. And so Herod reluctantly agrees and brings Jesus' cousin's head on a platter. Now, now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, when I got invited to people's birthday parties, I would take a present. Now, I've noticed over the last 10 years with my kids, I'll send them with a present to a birthday party. Guess what they come home with? They come back with loot bags. Sometimes they come back with better presents than we sent them with. <laughs> Talk about cheap. I, 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 but, but, and I'm just like, what's going on here? And I think it's because you've got all these kids at the party. They don't want kids to feel left out, so they give everyone presents. What is that? But it, that's the culture. But imagine being at this birthday party. Out comes John the baptizer's head. What a strange present for the guest. This is like the weirdest birthday party ever. And you need to understand that Herod's family's trying to communicate something. You mess with me, you mess with my wife, you mess with my family, and you too can have your head on a platter. Now what's really, really interesting, we come into this story today of the feeding of the 5,000, and some of the other Gospels give us a bit more detail about it. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, it tells us exactly what's going on, because Mark's only hints, hints on it. The crowd had gathered to force Jesus to become king. The text, it says it just like this, they came to make him king by force. That crowd wasn't there for a picnic. They had an agenda. We're going to make you king whether you like it or not. And so this is the place, this is the setting. He's got this crowd all around them. They're going to make him a revolutionary leader. And Jesus shows up and they're like, whoop, whoop, we want a revolution. And here's how the passage starts. The apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to him, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So I'm sure, I'm sure what has just happened, Jesus has lost his cousin. I'm sure he just wanted a little bit of time to process and to grieve. Also, his disciples had been on field trips, so they've come back. Hey, let's get together. Let's just get a little bit of solitude. Let's connect. And, and then he has this whole crowd around him. All of Etobicoke's gathered, and they want to make him king by force. Because the present king, Herod, he's making life and death decisions based on the hokey pokey. And I'm I'm totally a fan of the hokey pokey. Don't get me wrong, because that's what it's all about. <laughs> but who wants a king who's making life and death sit solutions, answers, based on someone's dance moves? The passage continues here. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's a nice picture, isn't it? You know, it kind of feels like a picnic now, doesn't it? 
except when you read the Old Testament, every time shepherd comes up, it's not a pleasant picture. Shepherd equated, we need a strong political leader. We need a strong leader who's going to lead us out of the exodus, who's going to protect us, who's going to help us, who's going to be our military leader. And, and so Jesus picks up on this, and Jesus gets this. And, and then the text says this. So he began teaching them many things. Now, why is the crowd there again? No, make the noise. Whoop, whoop. Can you do that with me? Why is the crowd there? Yeah, they want a revolution. That's why they're there. And I don't know about you, but I haven't led a lot of countries' liberations before or revolutions. But I would think, you may disagree with me, but I would think if you're going to overthrow the king, what do you need? You need weapons. Then the text says this. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding country and villages and buy some, themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. And they found out. They said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. So I think it's always helpful to just enter the text and Sometimes it's just good to do the text. So first, first thing that would probably be helpful is what's the first thing Jesus does? Puts on his rubber gloves. On his rubber gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he blesses. Not blesses the food. That's a misinterpretation of the text. He blesses God. So an ancient prayer that they still pray over bread, and I could very well be Jesus' exact words, it goes something like this. Baruch atah Adonai elhinu ha-aretz ha-aretz lachem ha-olam. Blessed are you, king of the universe, who gives us bread that comes from the ground. Then what happened? Broke it and began to distribute it. So I need four volunteers from the balcony to come on down, and I need eight people from down here to come down, and let's do some bread distribution like they did 2,000 years ago. Come on down. Don't make me point at you. Oh, and we can pass out gloves too here? Oh. Yes. We're in the 21st century, aren't we? Yes. It's not in the text, but they use this stuff too. Yeah, there we go. 
think these are going to fit me. How are we doing? Someone keep track of how many people, because we need 12. And if you have the time to count, you have the time to help. So, right on. <laughs> and if more people want to come from the balcony, bless you. Don't, uh, don't be confined by your territory or what tribe you're from. Oh, how am I doing here? Thank you, thank you. Oh, you need gloves still, yeah. Yeah. And you may be dispersed as you get your bread and pick different... Um, groups of 50 or 100 to feed. And the thing I ask of all of you is if you would hang on to your bread as they pull off chunks for you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Won't fit? Oh, okay. You're working.
comes up with me I'll break the bread and drink the So once again, what did the crowd want? Whoop, whoop! They wanted a revolution. And so now it's weapon distribution time. And Jesus hands out bread. First he teaches them, and then he hands out bread. First there's the word, and then there's the bread. Now, for you Hebrew scholars, I always find this a very fascinating dichotomy. Next, next slide. But disciple in Hebrew is the word Talmudim. Let me hear you say Talmudim. Yeah, good word. What's interesting, the exact same root word in Arabic is where we get the word Taliban. See, revolutions rebellions, these movements, nothing has changed. And so when you get this mob, this rebellious group around, what do you do? Of course, you train them in weapons, and then you give them weapons. This was the most unique rebellion ever in human history. This crowd wants to make them king, wants them to lead this charge, to lead this protest, to lead this march. And Jesus, he is introducing a liberation. But he gives them word, and he gives them bread. Now, what does the bread mean to you? Mmm, gluten. Mmm, carbs. But to the ancient, to the Middle Eastern ancient, bread meant life. They didn't have a lot of options at picnics. And when they had bread, it meant more than just simply, oh, another thing just to fill up my tummy. It, it meant so much more. You and I'd be like, where's the caviar and sushi at the picnic? You know, pasta, pasta, pastor. You know, where are the options? In this ancient, the, to the ancients, this bread meant life. And I showed you on the screen here just a moment ago, but constantly throughout Scripture, over and over again, bread represents life, represents the Word of God. Bread even represents Jesus. I'm so thankful that God loves pictures because I'm so slow. 
And one of my favorite pictures, I've talked about this before, but, but Bethlehem, anyone know what Bethlehem means? House of, house of bread or in modern day Hebrew, bakery. And the scriptures describe Jesus as being the living or the bread of life. Isn't it fascinating that bread of life was born in a bakery? And if you think that's just silly or trite, I'm telling you, God loves pictures. And so Jesus comes to earth, and he's like, I am a revolutionary. I've come to liberate you. I've come to bring you life. And that life, it comes through my words, my deeds, my bread, what I'm trying to do. And he's trying to get them all to understand this. You have to get this, that there's this hunger in you. And it's deeper and it's greater than physical hunger. And it's this hunger that you cannot satisfy with this. It's a hunger you can't satisfy by having the best family or the best career or the best home or the best sex or the best entertainment or the best diploma, schooling, the best vacation, those things, it can't satisfy. You'll always be left wanting. There's this great emptiness in our lives, and Jesus is like, the only way it can be addressed is by me. And if you don't come to me, you're going to be starving for eternity. And then this incredible thing happens in the text here. They all ate, and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Go ahead and eat. Man, pastor, I ain't satisfied yet. Send those ushers around again. You know what? I, I, I can get pretty cynical sometimes when I read miracles. I don't know about you. But, you know, this one's kind of hard to believe. I mean, w- wouldn't it be cool if Jesus just came today and did a real good miracle that we captured on video and then it goes viral? But it has to be a really good one. Like someone has a leg stump here and then it regrows back. Because, you know, it's got to... Or, or, you know, why doesn't God just... Why doesn't Jesus just come and give bread to everybody on planet Earth? And you read these things, and sometimes for even myself, I can get a little bit cynical. Why why doesn't he just feed the whole world today? But here's the point, and you see this especially captured in Mark's gospel. Jesus is not trying to impress anybody. He's not trying to fill this uh, rebellious crowd's stomach. He's not trying to do this wow factor so the crowd gets even bigger. He's trying to point them back to the way things once were. When there was no poverty, or sickness, or death, or hunger, or blindness. And more than that, he's pointing forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And and he's saying, one day I'm going to come I'm going, to give, I'm going to pay the most infinite cost to myself, but because of that, one day there's going to be a time when there is no disease and no sickness and no death and no hunger and no poverty 
and no injustice. And it's hard sometimes when we read the Gospels because it, we're told, we're given this picture, God did not make the world the way it is today. When God created the world, there was no hunger. There was no starvation. There wasn't blindness. There wasn't leprosy. There was no poverty. There was no diseases. There was no death. Those things are unnatural. Do you get that? They're not supposed to be here. God didn't make this world like this. That means that the miracles of Jesus show that he's no happier with the way things are than you and I are. So Jesus comes down. He comes down to earth, and he says, I'm going to be your liberator, and I'm going to offer you something that only God can provide. And it'll deal, it'll deal with a far greater hunger in you than just physical hunger. It'll deal with the most important hunger. And, and here's a picture of it. Here's just a small sampling as you eat this bread of what it's going to be like if you take my words to heart. See, we live in a world, I mean, you just have to even turn on the media, open the newspaper, and it's a world that's all about natural selection and survival of the fittest. And we can all look around if we just open our eyes a little bit and say, this place is messed up. And we can get pretty cynical about it if, we only, if our viewpoint is only natural selection. And we can just say, well, I guess, I guess, if, that, if this is just natural, then it is what it is. And since it is the way it is, there's nothing we can do. Therefore, we have no hope and we have no joy. But then Jesus enters and he's like, hey, let's have a picnic. And here's just a small sampling of how when you have life with me, when you have a relationship with me, hey, hey, pass the bread. It, it, it's just bread, but it's a sample. It's just a sample of what life will be with me forever. And if you put your trust in me, I'll give you a bread that satisfies your soul forever. And it'll bring you this deep satisfaction that'll help you even in this broken world. One last thing. About, about half of you here today, you're in community groups. You're in small groups. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this series called BELLS. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it looks a little bit like this. It's an acronym. But BELL stands for Bless, Eat, Listen, Learn, and Scent. And we've been going through this acronym and, and, and studying it. And, and really the rationale, the thinking behind the acronym and doing these things is that most of us are not the type of people who are going to go door to door, knock on people's doors and go, you need to meet Jesus. He's the bread of life that will satisfy your souls. There's a couple of us here, and we bless God for you, but most of us aren't necessarily wired that way. Most of us aren't going to go down to Dundas Square outside Eaton Center and grab people by the collar and say, man, I know the cure for your emptiness. But most of us, we do have this joy in Jesus, that we want the world to know. And the challenge here with some of these things is how do we get our neighbors and our friends to take notice? 
So the bless and the eat, the idea behind that, what, what's it mean to bless it? The very old words, the idea of take a knee to somebody else. So the idea of put a towel on your own arm and serve somebody. It could be something as simple as opening a door for somebody, but making, being intentional about that throughout the week. It could be fixing someone's flat tire. It, it, it could be paying someone's bills. I don't know. And eating, eating with a few people a week, especially people outside of our circles, taking time and just eating with that neighbor, that friend, that coworker, and not necessarily saying, you know what, we're going to talk about such and such a thing, but just going out of our regular pattern to build those relationships. And I just shared those two things, and for some of us here, that's terrifying. Like, that's a big deal. I don't even know if I could do that. But there's also a lot of us, pastor, I do that all the time. I've been doing that since I was two years old. I've been living my life this way for so long. And you know what, pastor? I've never had a spiritual conversation as a result. I sit with people, I eat with them, I bless them, and we never ever end up talking about Jesus. They don't want to hear it. They don't care I can't do it. It's going to take a miracle. Exactly. The text continues, By this time it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered, You give them something to eat. So who does Jesus put in charge of feeding all the revolutionaries? Disciples, did they have the resources to feed those 5,000 plus people? No. Was that a very fair assignment? Mm, no. And that's Jesus' whole point. Jesus is saying, until you see I'm calling you to do the impossible, you're absolutely unqualified to do it. I mean, you know what he could have done? He could have just made all the food appear like in a Harry Potter movie. But why didn't he do that? He could. Absolutely made it magically appear. But Jesus works with his disciples' inadequate food supply, and he says, go out, and I'll meet your needs. God's intention, especially if you're feeling inadequate today, is that you would feel inadequate today. That's precisely what the conditions are supposed to be for you doing it. Only when you know it's impossible that it'll take a miracle for the things that you're called to do by Jesus to happen, will you go, and you go do it anyways, will he begin to work through you. There's that other aspect to the BELLS acronym. I didn't get so much into it, but there's the two L's of BELLS, and it's listen, um, listen to God, and learn Jesus. And that's crucial too for a lot of us. It's just carving out time and space in our week to just listen for God's spirit. Listen for God's prompting. Listen for God's voice. For many people I hear often, Joe, I've never even heard that before. I've never been prompted. I've never been prodded. Have you stopped? Have you sought it out? And then learn Christ. Where do you begin? Read this story 10 times over this week. Read the gospel story. Learn Christ because if you don't know what Jesus sounds like, 
How do you differentiate between your own stomach grumblings and God's grumblings or God's voice or God's murmurings? You got to know what he sounds like if you want to be moved by him. When you learn Christ, when you, when you listen for God, you begin, if you haven't already, you begin to get a picture of what he did for you. You begin to appreciate more and more what the, the debt was that he paid for you on that cross so that death and sin could be taken care of in your life. And when you get that picture, if you haven't already, it fills you with such unbelievable joy that you can't shut up. You have to talk about it. You've got to share it. Look what he's done in my life, and I want everyone else to experience that life as well. That's the only response when we keep reminding. That's the only way we can respond because every time I come in contact with someone, I want to invite them into this worship service that's been going on before the beginning of time and will never, ever, ever stop. And I'm consumed by that. And we need to all be consumed by that to invite them into this joyful celebration that's going to go on and on whether you and I believe it or not. Can I invite the musicians up? That's a good time. That's a good cue. When's the last time, if you haven't already, had those promptings of God? Have you had those moments when you're full of such joy over what Jesus has done for you? You can't shut up. Are you a supercharged revolutionary? How do you get that? How do you get that satisfaction that only comes from Jesus? And here's what the whole thing's based on. Where are, those, where are the world's greatest spontaneous volunteers? I need all 12 of you back up here. Come on down. You don't need your gloves this time. Unless you're going to stick your fingers in the cups. Um, yeah. And as they're passing those out, if you could just hang on to them until, and we're going to all take part together. Thank you. Now I'm 
Here's the deal. This is what the revolution is based on. This is what Jesus' revolution is based on. See, the people, that crowd, they wanted the next big thing. They wanted the next Moses, next Joshua, the next Jewish hero, the next Elijah, the next King David. They wanted the next Exodus. They wanted that political liberator to come and free them from bondage. And Jesus is like, oh, guys, your sights are too low. I don't want to be the next thing. I want to be the ultimate thing. I'm going to deal with the things that are separating you from eternity and from a relationship with God. I'm going to deal with sin and death for always and forever. See, our world teaches that if you want to get what you want, you've got to break down doors. You've got to, it's all on your own strength. You've got to do it. 
You have to do it. It's all about what you do. And this revolution that Jesus teaches is exactly the opposite. And Jesus is like, I'm going to bless people by letting them tear me to pieces on that cross. By letting myself be torn to pieces, all of you will be able to stay whole. And not only that, I'm going to let them, I'm going to allow them to pour out my blood. So that your emptiness would be filled for all of eternity. The bread, it represents his body broken for you. And the cup represents his life poured out for you to set you free. Take and drink. If you really want to become a revolutionary, if you're hearing this is who Jesus is and who, this is who I need to respond as a result, it's not about just doing, emulating him, being exactly like him. It's to see what he's done for you and to say, God, please accept me because of what he's done. His body broken for me, his blood shared, shed for me. And if there's anyone here who's like, you know what, I have embraced him. I'm trying to do his work, but pastor, it is so hard. Remember this, only the inadequate are adequate. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text. I thank you for this story where people were satisfied. Physically, yes, but more so by those words and the deeds of Jesus. God, we, we, may we in turn, may our lives, may our focus, may our attention be on what you have done. And may that be all we need to handle today to handle this week, the months, the years ahead. Help us to become, lean more into that. Help us to become people who just want to learn you, listen to you, and respond in joy.